Welcome, listener. I'm Joe Suarez, and this is the Instructional Redesign Podcast, stories and conversations about the design of modern learning experiences. Today, my co-host Kara North and I interview another great Canadian learning and development professional. Mark Shepard is a senior learning consultant from Ontario with a wealth of learning and development experience. He self-identifies as an unrepentant geek, as you will soon discover. We had a blast talking with Mark and comparing the work of L&D to Star Wars. And somewhat surprisingly, it turned into an extremely interesting discussion, drawing parallels of L&D to the story, characters, and production of the beloved sci-fi franchise. First, a quick thanks to this episode's sponsor, Instructional Design Genius. It's a comprehensive end-to-end platform that supports learning professionals as they plan, build, deploy, and measure training initiatives. Listen to episode 12 of our podcast where I interview creator Chris Straley and visit instructionaldesigngenius.com to learn more. Now, like last episode, we lost Kara's locally recorded audio, but fortunately it was picked up in Mark's audio. So all of her great questions and comments were retained, albeit a little hot as we say in the audio biz, meaning she may sound a little different than Mark and I in this episode. But we are grateful to hear her voice again. So... Enough of me talking. Here is Kara kicking off the conversation with Mark. So, Mark, welcome to the Instructional Redesign Podcast. Thank you for having me. Again, I've really been looking forward to this. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the past year, and you're a really fun guy. you got a lot of um, neat stories and experiences, so tell us a little bit about how you got involved in learning and development. I got my start in learning and development, although I didn't realize what it was at the time, um, during my service in the Army Reserve here in Canada, and I know everybody's surprised when people say, wait, Canada has a military? Um, summers uh, working full-time for the Army and uh, working to teach things like basic training, trades training courses, and things like that. So one of the pillars of leadership is actually learning how to be an instructor and to be a good instructor. And uh, that was back in the summer of 1988. And I have been active and involved with it ever since. So Mark, for the work that you do, where do you get your inspiration from? What influences you? Well, I've been lucky over the years to have worked with a lot of really, really smart people, and I'm also tapped into that broader personal learning and professional development network through social media. But I also admit there are other sources closer to home that uh, that have continued to inspire me. Uh, I, I am an unrepentant geek, and there are some great examples of creativity and innovation that you see in pop culture and science fiction and design and things like that. So I've, I, I've been happy to draw from a lot of varied sources in my solutions. All right, unrepentant geek, let's unpack that a little bit. You said that you get influence from science fiction and other kind of creative endeavors. Um, share a little bit about that with us. Um, what kind of ties do you see in those realms to learning and development? Well, if we look at things like you know the history of science fiction or some of the big endeavors, uh, say like a, the, you know the manned space program and the space race way back then, and and I'm a I'm a product of those kinds of days. The 
inspiration that we now see coming from uh, from the toys and the memorabilia and the nostalgic look back at all of those kinds of things uh, helps to keep me going. Uh, anybody who has seen pictures of my office will see um, will see a number of large Lego figures. For example, I have the Saturn V uh, above my desk. I have a large. Um, USS Enterprise, uh, the space one, not the not the floating one, uh, sitting there as well. And I appreciate the creativity of the endeavors that inspired them. But what I also like is the creativity and the engineering that goes into creating these solutions. And I look at those. And they remind me that a lot of things that people didn't think were possible are actually possible if you, you know, if you really put your mind to it and you persevere. Aha, I see. I think I know where you're going with this. So you're basically saying that some of these, like these Lego figurines, inspire you because they are things that people might have said, well, it's never possible to build something like this. It's never possible to you know, accomplish something like this. So you're kind of making the parallels, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that us in L&D, maybe we shouldn't be working so hard to maintain the status quo? I think that's part of it. There's a, there's a larger sidebar conversation to be had about L&D's role as innovators and uh, continuous, uh, excuse me, continuously improving not only the, the substance of their offerings, but the practice of, of the, the instructional design discipline as a whole. But I, I look at some of these things, something like the Apollo 13 mission, for example, and uh, the constraints that the engineers at NASA were faced with. And they said, we have, we have a choice. We either do this or don't. And we know what the consequences are if we don't do this, so we need to try. And that's been a good watchword for me. I mean, heck, you can even take a look back at uh, somebody like George Lucas, for example, who was determined to tell this epic uh, story that had been percolating in his mind for ages. And I like to think that some of what Lucas did with the Star Wars universe, and we're not going to talk about Disney's takeover because that's another polarizing subject entirely, but you like to think that people like him have inspired uh, authors like J.K. Rowling, for example, who had the story of Harry Potter per percolating and persisted in making these things happen. Yeah, when you look back at just how many people the original Star Wars films inspired and what they created from that, it's truly amazing. So what specifically about your work do you take influence from things like star wars part of it is that your original idea is going to require a number of evolutions and um, and and iterations and changes before you get to a final product so anybody who has looked at what lucas did um, knows the original story that he hand wrote about Luke Starkiller and uh, and how that evolved into Skywalker and that epic story that was eventually told. But you can also look at some of the failings of the Star Wars franchise and how you can try to re-engineer something, but you're not necessarily going to please everybody. And I see a lot of parallels in terms of learning and development efforts 
uh, where people have gone in to make changes and revise, and you get resistance from the people who said, okay, well, I really liked what happened the first time. I'm curious, I, and I, I, again, can appreciate where you're coming from for, from this because I think that oftentimes a lot of newer learning development professionals uh, really embrace the role of an order taker as opposed to really kind of standing up and sharing their point of view and pushing it through. So would you say that this is something that everybody needs to kind of think about, especially in their newer career, or do you think this is an ongoing challenge for a lot of us in L&D? Well, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Um, let, let's take the, the, the newer learning and development professionals, and let's face it, we were all there at some point. And I think playing the role of the of what I'll call the order filler as opposed to the order taker, because let's face it, we all take orders. Um, but uh, but in terms of just being an order filler, I think everybody goes through that. It's part of the it's part of the ladder that you have to climb. Um, some folks are content to hone their craft to become more effective order fulfillers, and there's others who see uh, things beyond that, and they want to get into shaping and directing whatever the whatever the solutions are. And if we go back and look at that that Star Wars analogy. Um, Somebody like Lucas wasn't necessarily an order taker or an order filler. He was somebody who persisted in refining his vision and uh, and changing it and letting the audience determine uh, what was working and perhaps what was not. But by the same token, it was still his. He still owned it. And I think that's a good lesson for a lot of people to, to draw from is that you can have a vision, you can refine it, but not all of your solutions are going to be, are, are going to please everyone um, or they're going to please different people at different times. Uh, that's also important over the timeline of, of learning solutions. Some pretty simple parallels we can draw between uh, the different phases of what of, of what Lucas did um, in the different parts of the stories, and you can map that to learning solutions that people do. Um, for example, if you're coming out with um, a particular a particular suite of offerings, and they look one way, they feel one way, and your initial audience looks at it and says, "Okay, this is great," and you can maybe make some changes. And then you have a big revelation. You decide you're going to do another set of offerings, but you're going to do something different this time. And you're going to reach a new audience of people who like it. But then what have you done with the people who liked your original stuff? What if they come back to you and say, oh, you know what? This wasn't as good as your original stuff. So do you try to tweak it? Do you try to adjust it? It's, a, uh, it's an interesting judgment call for the L&D professional to, um, to go through that. It, it's, it's exactly what we saw with, the release of episodes one, two, and three when compared with what people enjoyed from the quote-unquote original four, five, and six. Absolutely. Instead of giving your audience more Boba Fett, you give them Jar Jar. <laughs> Jar Jar's a, I mean, Jar Jar's an interesting, an interesting example, but I was thinking more about um, something as simple as, say, uh, a remastered version of what you've offered, or you've added some different uh, bells and whistles to your original offering. Um, I know there's some people who, who will say, okay, um, I have this newer version of A New Hope, and oh, that scene where Han Solo was talking with, with that CGI jab of the hut, that's really cool. But of course, those of us who saw the original version in theaters on film are saying yeah that wasn't part of the story and are you just adding it because you thought it because you thought it looked cool uh 
So if we're comparing Star Wars to learning and development, maybe a good analogy would be the original trilogy would be stand-up training and the prequels are e-learning because in the prequels there was a lot of new technology a lot of cgi just for cgi's sake like you were talking about with the the remastered job of the hut scene and technically speaking they were accomplishments but as far as adding to the story they really didn't do much maybe even detracted from that and i think the transfer from saying a stand-up training classroom experience to e-learning is there's some parallels there because uh, you lose a lot of that face-to-face element and yeah it's replaced by something that technically is is a big accomplishment to serve up this you know let's say 20 minute module that that works from front to back but at the end of the day you're losing something at the same time I think that's a fair assessment uh, and a fair comparison between the between the two. Uh, I, I think what we have seen in terms of what um, what Lucas and the, and the Star Wars uh, franchise has done, say across those the, those first two uh, those first two segments of the stories, is very similar to the divide between the um, say the, the the traditional story, the sage on the stage, and what people are now seeing, or perhaps what people saw in the very early days of e-learning. I remember probably uh, 1998 when I was working as a full-time technical instructor for one of Microsoft's delivery partners in Toronto. The first offerings from CBT Systems came out, and they were on uh, they were on CD. I mean, this was this was even before DVD ROM was possible. They they came on CD. They were lots of multimedia. There was lots of really cool graphics, um, and they were trying to suggest, hey, you know, we can do this whole um, thing in a couple of hours that you do with the, um, the old Windows NT4 core technologies course over five days. Well, yeah, okay, it looked flashy, it looked splashy, and it might have saved some time. So there were benefits there. But when you dug a little bit deeper into the solutions, they weren't branched. They didn't give the people the opportunity to actually be working on a computer where something unexpected could happen and to actually problem solve, which is something that we did in the classroom settings. So where people are now in this environment is to try to strike that balance, uh, much in the way that you'll see Star Wars going back to uh, some stronger storytelling and effects where they make sense. And what we see in learning and development, where we still want uh, SME input, we want meaningful learning experiences and technology to support the process, not necessarily to drive or define the entire experience to its detriment. I completely agree with that. And I think you've really touched on a topic that is kind of a soapbox for me. I hate when folks put out technology for technology's sake. They buy all these flashy equipment. They don't know how to use them. They waste resources. And then they're like, oh, look, it's shiny. It's pretty. It's got a nice wrapper on it. But then if you do dig a little deeper, there's not a lot of content there. So I really appreciate that you pointed that out. I'm going to get back to the L&D professional in this Star Wars universe. And I'm going to ask maybe a little bit of a provocative question here. Just roll with it. Do you think um, currently how learning development professionals are, like in the current environment, are learning and development professionals 
more Jedi or Sith? What do you think? <laughs> um, I think most of them like to think that among themselves, however, in external perceptions, I think that organizations and others may perceive them as being more Sith um, because people will ask about their value and what they really mean, what they can contribute. And there are times perhaps when people could say, eh, yeah, okay, I, what I hear is a lot of complaining and a lot of beefing and a lot of anger that, that, uh, that you're either not getting the resources you need or you're, you know, we need to do things differently. And, and that's just so against my, uh, you know, so against my views because, well, I'm just going to outsource you, you know. Um, and, and then you have the, uh, uh, then we can go back to all the, all the, all the Star Wars instances where mercenaries were brought in or bounty hunters were brought in and, and what that actually meant to that universe and how, what we've seen it mean when organizations will just take that approach and say, goodbye, we're going to pay somebody to outsource this and take a very, take a very short term view. I think our intentions are noble uh, in terms of wanting to help people, wanting to help organizations achieve their achieve their aims. But uh, just like the just like the Jedi, I think we need a better PR machine uh, and and some a little less humility and a little bit more shameless self promotion, so that people will recognize the value and appreciate that what we do has has good intentions for the organization. I like your your mercenary example. So in Empire Strikes Back, here you have Darth Vader who has this humongous army at his disposal and he doesn't trust his stormtroopers well enough to get the job done. So here he hires these external mercenaries to do it for him. Um, and, and I see that phenomenon in L&D happening quite a lot that, you know, well, what do you guys actually do? Or, or you're really just a cost center at the end of the day and things in that we're not or haven't done a good enough job proving how valuable we are or can be. And as a result, you know, the organization looks to somebody external instead. That's very true. And, and I should say, this isn't a knock on the people who operate independently as consultants, um, because uh, ultimately they're running their own business and they're trying to put, you know, they're trying to put food on the table. I don't, I don't disagree with that, and uh, and anybody who's able to do that as an independent has my utmost admiration. Where I really draw the the concerns is when organizations will use uh, that expertise, but not to its fullest extent. There's a ton of really really smart people out there operating independently who can do far more for an organization than what they're just being paid for. Um, I had a conversation with somebody recently on Twitter about this, and and it's a case of of say being a consultant where you're helping the organization provide them with what they actually need and helping them with solving root problems instead of just saying well I'm just going to deliver what you paid for I am now the order taker and order fulfiller and and that's it and it's it's frustrating for a lot of people who want to do more and want to do better um, and the organizations themselves don't have enough of the vision to make it happen or say, to go back to that, that stormtrooper thing, these guys couldn't aim effectively uh, 
and therefore the solution was to go and get a handful of people with no scruples instead of perhaps working on improving the organization's marksmanship. <laughs> I'm going to go back to a point that you made a little bit earlier about the storytelling and what you s- said about the fact that we may deliver something different than our audience expects or is used to. And again, going back to Star Wars, in the remastered version, there was the whole conspiracy about Han shot first, right? And they changed that <laughs> a little bit. And so kind of going back to building something brand new versus maintaining it, where do you kind of see that continuum for a learning development professional? Um, Should they, like, break everything down and rebuild, or should they maintain and modernize? What what are your thoughts on that? Uh, That could be an episode all on its own. Uh, But what I will say is that uh, an enlightened organization that's got a good relationship with its L&D professionals is one that's going to appreciate the concepts of continuous improvement. Uh, So you can continue to tweak and incrementally involve your offerings. Um, Where I see people really frustrated and uh, where I know a lot of L&D folks sit uh, is where they're in the position of, of, say, uh, having their work storyboarded and wordsmith to within an inch of its life, a culture of um, failure avoidance uh, operates to the detriment of the organization because if you you'll never fail if you don't try, and if you are in an environment where you are striving to get absolutely everything perfect and everything completely polished before it's released. And then you get the inevitable thud when the, when the experience hits the floor as far as the learner is concerned. Everybody is so burnt out from version one of this offering that nobody wants to tackle version two. And it's just, a, it's just an arduous experience. There's always a value in looking at uh, things that you've done before and looking to see what you can do to change them. Uh, I can almost view that in terms of an efficiency where you are not doing a complete rebuild and simply abandoning what you have done before. Um, you are actually taking the opportunity to build on previous solutions, previous materials, figuring out what you can do to make an incremental change, the most impact for example, for the least amount of effort. What that does is that gives you more capacity as a practitioner. It gives the organization more capacity across the board to to get things done. Uh, there's, there's great case studies of organizations being able to do that. And, you know, we can go back to this Star Wars analogy and say, hey, this is great. So Lucas did, um, you know, Lucas uh, went back to this effort as opposed to, um, you know, what people saw when Howard the Duck came out. That's an extreme example. But you, you, you see the parallel between trying to do something completely different as a, as a follow-up offering and then going back to, to what you know uh, is, is, is good and that works. That's not to say that you should get stuck in a rut. And some people may uh, criticize Lucas for, for doing such a thing and that he hasn't necessarily branched out in that regard. That's a, that's a debate that, that people can discuss over beverages. But, uh, but I think in our case, um, we shouldn't be afraid to innovate. Uh, we shouldn't be afraid to try new things. But, uh, you know, 
look at the things that are still working for you and look at the incremental change that makes sense. You know, when I look back on the Star Wars movies, in particular episodes four through six, the original trilogy, and then the prequels, what I see is George Lucas in the late 70s, early 80s, trying to execute his vision, uh, but having a hard time because of the limitations of technology, even though he was able to accomplish some amazing feats, uh, at the end of the day, he still was a little disappointed. So for him, it kind of felt like the first iteration. And then when he got around to making the prequels, the technology had improved a lot. And in his mind, he thought, okay, now I can more fully uh, complete what I had in mind, whereas the rest of us fell in love with that, what he would consider more of like a, a work in progress. So what he saw as compromises, we saw as the finished complete works. And when he would do little things to try and tweak those things, we got upset. So do you have any recommendations for when we as learning professionals are working iteratively that we keep that perspective with the audience in, in focus? I think the best thing that, that an L&D professional can keep in mind is that, is that change is inevitable. And there are going to be things that you will see that could potentially, you know, revamp what you're, you know, what you have done in the past. My first recommendation is to say, make an evidence-based decision. Are there sufficient um, deficiencies, uh, if you will, in what you've done in the past that would warrant making a change that's, say, driven by uh, some kind of new technology offering. Um, is there going to be a value in doing that? Uh, will it improve the learning? Will it improve performance? Um, not to dismiss the value of the actual uh, learner experience, but ultimately, is it going to have an improvement? And, and if the answer to that is no, or even I don't know, then maybe it's something you shouldn't necessarily tackle. Uh, that said, uh, as you're looking at doing new offerings, you may want to incorporate some of these, uh, some of these, these, these new technologies. And again, make an evidence-based decision. Is the integration of these things going to improve that experience? Um, could it improve the amount of work that I have to do? And that's something that people tend to uh, tend not to think about when they get all all um, distracted by the, the the shiny buttons and the the clicky clicky bling bling that comes with new new application offerings is it actually solving a problem is there a problem for which this is a solution to look at it another way um, you know I look at the things that um, where I would love to have incorporated uh, things like video or branching technologies and a few years ago that would have required me to have a programmer involved and, and all that kind of stuff, and you sort of leave that aside. Now I have the capacity to actually build branched interactions with scores and stuff like that, either through my browser or even on a, on a mobile device. The capacity that we have to do these things is great, but that doesn't mean that the guiding principles and the, the theories and, and the practices have gone away. What, it's, what it means in, in, in some cases for people is that you can do bad work faster and distribute it to more people. 
You mentioned a term that I think so many of us forget about when we're building e-learning or instructor-led because so many of us are kind of squeezed for time and resources, evidence-based practice. So what do you think, as far as learning development goes, what are some different sources of evidence that learning and development professionals should know about and think about as they're building out their products? Uh, at, at the risk of potentially stating the obvious, your own organization is going to be the, the, the best source of evidence for the impact on what you're doing. And, but to get there, you need to be able to ask the right kinds of questions and you need to be able to know where the right metrics are and where you can see the direct connections between the learning solutions that you have pulled together and the impact on the business. So that requires a bit of an analytical mindset, but your organization is always going to be the guide. To build on that, there may be case studies from uh, people that you connect with in your personal network or, um, or uh, in the industry as a whole that actually will help to inform your decisions. I'm very fortunate working in healthcare that we are, for very good reason, very heavily evidence-based. And so I'm in a position to tap into not just what the organization does, but with the various um, uh, health disciplines and uh, human resources and organizational development uh, communities and what they're saying about solutions in this particular space. Uh, and I recognize that not everybody has access to that, but there's an opportunity for people to reach out and to branch out and start seeing what others are doing. But again, do not forget that your best evidence is going to be right inside your organization. So we've talked a lot about the filmmaking process behind Star Wars, but what about the characters themselves? Is there any character arc that you can think of that might lend itself to an analogy for learning and development? The, the nice thing about the Star Wars universe is, of course, there's, there's such a, a rich abundance of characters, but I think the easiest one to, to look at is, is the story of, of Luke Skywalker, um, somebody who found himself in a situation he didn't expect to be in. And uh, many of us in learning and development have found ourselves in that spot uh, with thanks to Cammy being very much the accidental instructional designers and, and other parallel roles. And uh, later on, he appreciates the value of the education that he gets, even though he didn't have it at the start, but he started getting that along the way. And that's similar to my own experience where I had a lot of practical skills in the areas of L&D. And then I went back later to do graduate school and, and other professional development. But it's also important to consider that there's going to be hiccups along the way. There's going to be lots of distractions. Uh, and you can always benefit from having, um, having a mentor, having people who you can look up to, people that you can, uh, people that you can engage with, just to ask questions. Uh, we saw that in the, in the the various people that um, that that Luke hung out with, whether it was Han Solo, whether it was Ben Kenobi, or whether it was whether it was Yoda, or any of the other people he was involved in, or involved with rather. But those are the kinds of people that we need. And even if they're not directly related to what we do, there's a value, and, and people uh, hear this phrase a lot and say there's a value of bringing the outside inside. 
tap into those tap into those networks and and glean what you can the journey isn't always going to be smooth eventually the journey will come to an end there will be a new generation that will that will take over but uh, if you're in a position to leave a legacy of what you're doing and help to bring others along in the discipline then i would say that would be a uh, a life well lived or sometimes you just have to deal with Tuscan Raiders that hate everything you do. <laughs> yes, yes, and and patience and perseverance uh, are also virtues that will serve people very well uh, in this uh, in in this industry. Mark, thank you so much for being on today. I know that I've enjoyed it. I'm sure Joe has as well. Where can people find you at? Uh, the best place for people to find me is on Twitter. You can find me as Mark Learns, and uh, always happy to make connections with uh, with new folks and renew connections with other folks I haven't talked with in a while. Great. Well, thanks, Mark, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And that's another wrap on another episode of the Instructional Redesign Podcast. Until next time, I'm Joe Suarez. And I'm Karen Noor. Thanks for listening. So there you have it, a great conversation with Mark Shepard. Hey, when it comes to your work, are you more of a Jedi or a Sith? Reach out to us on Twitter and let us know. We are at Redesign Podcast. Contact links, including Mark's, are available in the show notes at our website, instructionalredesign.com. And thanks again to our show sponsor, Instructional Design Genius.